Aloha. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am here today with Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. And we are going to start talking about freshmen in the 2021 NBA Draft. And Jeremy has been all over this. He's followed these freshmen through high school. Uh, He just recently uh, published his top 60 on Sports Illustrated. So you can check that out. And I want to focus today on the freshmen because this is going to be a very heavy freshman-dominated draft at the top, Jeremy. Just to put this into perspective, how would you rank this incoming freshman class among general high uh, high school seniors, freshman class coming to the NCAA? I think it's a pretty deep class uh, in terms of just talent level. Um, I, I have seen a lot of these guys. I think I'm probably a little bit more familiar with this year's freshmen than I have been with a lot of the incoming classes in the past, just because I was at more in the last 18 months, I've been at more high school events, uh, you know, pre COVID, uh, you know, than I had ever been. Uh, so I feel pretty familiar with them. Uh, I, the talent level I think is on the high end. Uh, but I do think maybe that the part that's been a little bit lost in the discussion is that a lot of these guys are still long-term talents. Uh, so it's not like we're getting like a dozen polished all Americans try and drop them into college basketball. That's not what's happening. And I think, you know, if you've watched college basketball as you and I have uh, for the past few weeks, I think that part has been evident. Um, you know, there are a few guys who are, I think, a cut above the rest. There's, you know, 10 to 12 guys who are pretty interesting long-term prospects and I think are probably, you know, legitimate one-and-done cases right now just off what I've seen uh, and what I know about, you know, these guys as individuals. But um, I think the narrative that – and, yeah, I, I don't think I was, I've been the worst. You know, I've, I've mentioned this in the past. I don't think I've been the worst about pushing it. But, like, I don't think there's, like, six number one picks in this draft class. Like, you know, if, if you put this this one up against 2020, um, I think, you know, Kid Cunningham is kind of the great uh, differentiator here where it's, like, at least you can feel comfortable with him, right? But, you know, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, I think to a lesser extent, Kaminga and Suggs, um, you know, those guys are good prospects, I think. They're a little bit more safety. Guys can breathe a little bit easier this year if you're picking near the top of the draft. It's early. Um, but also the value of a first-round pick is going to be high because I think there's depth in the 10 to 20 range this year that we may not have had as much of last season. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things for me is that while I'm not sure necessarily the ceilings are particularly higher with some of these players, it seems like their floors are higher. And that's part of the comfort level in this draft. So let's just dive right into it. The number one guy on your board, I think the number one guy on most boards, Cade Cunningham, a guy who I think could play in the NBA right now. He's looked really good for Oklahoma State at the start. I don't think that's a big surprise to anybody who's followed him in high school. What do you love about Cunningham? Yeah, there's, I don't even know where to start, really. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, you know, over the course of time, you know, the more I saw of him in high school, just the more obvious it was that he was going to be the number one prospect for me. Um, it, it didn't take that long for it to click, but you know, I think sometimes it takes a few times, uh, a few games watching him just to understand the consistency level and just the value of what he does in terms of just winning games where he is rarely um, loses control of the pace of a game. Uh, you know, it, obviously his size is a six, eight point guard. Um, you know, the passing vision, he can pass with both hands, you know, all that always tends to add up when you're that big. Um, you know, he's really effective. He's not a run jump, you know, dominant run jump athlete. He doesn't really need to be, 
Uh, and so, you know, the Luca comparisons, I think are dumb just because you shouldn't really compare anyone to Luca anymore. Like, I think we're already at that point with them. But uh, and this is what I said in the big board. Basically, it's like the fiber of their game. There's still some similarities there where you can at least see why that name comes up. Um, and, and, and so, you know, he's also shooting it well. I thought he'd shoot it. Uh, I think, you know, that had been a point of contention in high school. How good of a shooter is he? I think he's starting to answer those questions. Uh, you know, defensively, he's good. Uh, he's big. He can kind of defend wings potentially. Uh, you know, you might not want him to be, you know, the, you know, 1A point of attack defender, but he's going to get it done. So there are just very few holes to poke in his game. And, um, you know, I think the one thing from watching him early, I mean, his teammates are not super talented. Uh, they haven't lost yet, but um, it's going it's to be the type of year where like his counting stats may not look like he's not going to average like 10 assists per game, but part of it's because his guys aren't going to be making that many shots. Right. But you know, so the assist to turnover stuff, I think at the end of the year could look a little bit more suspect than we would like, but uh, at the same time, I wouldn't hold that against him situationally. Um, uh, but I just, I, I think his, his case here is pretty hard to nitpick at least at this point in time. Yeah. I, you know, Tony Jones and I were talking about this as well. It's, it's really tough when you consider his age to find big holes in his game right now. I mean, everybody at his age has things that they could obviously improve on, but to say there's this one area of his game that I'm concerned about, or that he might fail in the NBA if he doesn't improve that. I don't really even see that. I think in high school, as you pointed out, shooting was probably that uh, so far that's looked pretty good. He, he shot a step back three the other night. Uh, and, and then maybe that the lack of elite explosive athleticism he's not a bad athlete at all but he's he's not a jump out of the gym athlete or has elite lateral quickness and maybe that holds back his ceiling a bit but it's hard to figure out how this guy fails at the next level yeah absolutely i think like one thing i'll say so this is the story of like when i really knew for sure with him uh it was at a game it was like last march in 2019 uh in new york they were playing at the national geico nationals and i think they were playing scotty barn no scotty barnes is on his team at no, it was the year before Scotty Barnes went to Montverde. So he was playing against Scotty Barnes' team. Okay. And so they um, basically like, I don't remember exactly how it went. They won the game. Uh, he, I was just so impressed with how he controlled the flow. It seemed like, you know, once they went up like eight or 10 points, there was just never any chance for the other team to get back into the game. And just, there are very few high school guards who just, you feel supreme confidence in watching them, but he was just one of them. And then, you know, I look up, at the end of the game, he has like four points. And I was just like, wow. Like I just, I had just, it's very rare when you see, I think one of the you know players like Derek Rose is one where in high school, you watched him a little bit. He was one of the first guys I was able to watch uh, and really get a feel for him. And he was in high school and, you know, he was a guy who could dominate. He didn't really have to score, but his impact was just, you could always feel it. And I saw that with Kate and I was just like, I think that was when I kind of got clued in. This is kind of the guy. Um, I think if there's another hole to poke, it's the finishing where, and it kind of ties into what you said about the uh, explosiveness where he's not, even for a big guy, he's not going to be playing above the rim in traffic that often in the NBA. So the floater and, you know, finding different ways to finish and be deceptive uh, and also tightening up his handle to get into the paint when smaller guards get into him. Those are things he's going to have to keep working on. Uh, but I wouldn't say those are, you know, red flags in any way. I think those are just, you know, things he will have to improve. Um, so it's, he's pretty compelling, man. And he's, he's just, he's so fun to watch from start to finish, uh, for 40 minutes. I think this is his to lose. Uh, certainly, uh, there are going to be contenders as there are every year and teams are going to do their homework and not just anoint 
someone as the number one pick in the draft, but I do think right now this is his to lose. Let's talk about the guy that's number two on your board. He's number three on mine. Evan Mobley, the big man out of USC, also having a really impressive start uh, for USC, doing a little bit of everything. He's scoring scoring around the basket. He's shooting threes. Uh, he's blocking shots. He's rebounding. What do you think about Evan Mobley as a prospect? Mobley, he's really someone who has kind of exceeded my expectations, actually, um, this year, which has been a really nice surprise. Um, I, I'll say, I think I saw him play three or four times, I think three times last season. And it seemed like his his level of engagement was just kind of up and down as a high school senior. Uh, so I think, you know, he lost the number one ranking. Part of it was because, you know, Cunningham was so good. This is in the high school rankings. I think ESPN had Jalen Green one. I think 24-7 had Kel Cunningham one. Like, you know, the guys who do those sites, you know, Evan lost the number one spot in all those lists. Um, and he just looked kind of disinterested. So to see him, you know, coming into college basketball, you know, look, he, I think he's kind of an introverted personality. I think that's the thing we have to understand about him. He's not a huge talker. Um, you know, his, his impact is a little bit more subtle sometimes. Um, but he's the type of guy where, you know, he, he's been really engaged so far. He's not always fiery. Um, but his, you know, defensive impact is massive and he doesn't even have to really do anything to do that. You know, his, his length, uh, and you know, his ability to move his feet, he just kind of wipes away a section of the floor a lot of the time. And at the college level, that's just such a dominant skill to have, uh, you know, to be that big and that long. Uh, and that's something I think will translate to an extent. Now he's very skinny. He has to get stronger. His body type is very narrow. So it's like, you know, how much beefier will he get? And then you kind of get in like the Jaron Jackson zone where it's like, this guy's a great shot blocker. He's, you know, got the great, you know, modern big man traits, but ultimately a lot of it's going to be, um, you know, the body development is going to matter in terms of what his ceiling is. Uh, but he also fouls a lot less than, than Jaron did as a freshman. He's much further along. He's also, you know, a year older, I think than Jalen or Jaron Jackson was as a freshman. So that matters too. Uh, but, but altogether, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about a modern big, you know, the rim protection aspect, uh, the scale potential, he can really pass. That's something that I think has really started to come out a little bit more. Uh, he can handle a little bit. He can shoot a little bit. You know, this, this is all pointing in a really positive direction uh, with Evan. So I think it might have been just been he's, he was a little bit bored in high school. Uh, I, I don't mean that as a knock. I just sometimes with bigs, you see it where it's just like they're ready for a step up in level. Uh, and he's been off to a really, really good start, I think, for USC. They're not a very good team, and he's, he's made them relevant. Yeah, he, he's been really interesting. One of the things that really impressed me about him is ability to catch the ball at the top of the key and create and take his man off the dribble. Uh, which again is something you're not usually seeing with bigs that age um, that project as they do defensively as well. And I think that is the unique thing about him as a prospect. He pro- uh, projects as a plus defensively, but offensively, he looks like he can do it all. I, I wonder if he's going to be more of an NBA four um, than a five, more maybe in like a Chris Bosch mold, uh, you know, for example, uh, than an NBA five, par- partly because of, I think, questioning how much weight he's going to be able to put on that frame. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I actually, you know, I thought the Bosch comparisons with James Wiseman were kind of a stretch, uh, but with Evan, I, I think it's much, much more easy to to look at him and say that. Um, and, you know, he'll play some five, you know, if he spaces the floor, it'll really help. Um, yeah. But again, you know, knowing that he can handle a little bit and he can face up and play off the dribble um, and with that starting to manifest in his game. Yeah. I, I can see him, you know, being maybe a big skill mismatch for, uh, as well. Now, I don't know if he is ever going to be a, a true offensive focal point like Bosch was when he was, you know, in Toronto, where he was actually really, you know, such a prolific offensive player. I'm not sure Mobley is that. He he, still, he could be. I'm not going to like bank on it. But I think the defensive value maybe is more, more, even more so, uh, part of his game. Uh, so yeah, I think he's pretty fascinating. And I mean, again, here we are again debating about 
you know, bigs early in the draft, but I will say, I think he is a more well-rounded player uh, than James Wiseman was walking into college for sure. And he, he certainly seems to fit uh, the modern big, as you said, in ways that I think they're still relevant. I think when we talk about bigs not being relevant, we're often talking about the old school back to the basket dinosaur um, black hole type bigs that, that are struggling to find a, a role in the NBA these days. And that's certainly not Mobley on any stretch of the imagination. We're going to skip your three and four guys because we're going to do a G, G League podcast um, in a little bit. They're not pay, playing in, in college. And there's at least three, maybe maybe four four guys in the G League that, that might be drafted this year. Let's go to Jalen Suggs. He's number five on your board, number two on mine. Uh, and off to another dominant start uh, to the season for the number one team uh, in the country, uh, Gonzaga right now, was ranked a little lower in high school. You know, depending on the rankings, you know, somewhere like, you know, 10 to 15-ish seemed to be his range. And from day one, he comes out on a huge stage against Kansas in their first game, and he looks like a pro. He plays like a 25-year-old. His poise, his, his toughness, uh, and his well-rounded game what do you think about Suggs and how he projects uh, in the NBA? He's really been awesome. Um, I mean, being totally honest, like he he really did. It. He's already exceeded my expectations. Uh, I had him pegged as more of a late lottery guy coming into the year, just off what I had seen. Uh, and that was based on, you know, I, I still have some questions about his shot uh, and what type of shooter he is. Um, you know, he doesn't really have the in-between game, so I'm not sure he's like an offensive focal point uh, guy. Uh, but obviously, you know, so much athletic pop. Um, you know, he's a good defender when he wants to be, has the tools to be a very good defender. Uh, he's just, he's so quick. He's tough, uh, you know, clearly competitive. Uh, and he's been really hard to keep out of the paint uh, so far to start the season. So I think, you know, he was a guy, I think playing, he played Under Armour. He didn't play Nike. So there was some mixed opinion on him. You know, sometimes guys who don't play in the EYBL, um, it's a little bit harder to evaluate them just because the the there's less numbers to work with. You got to go more off the eye test. Um, but I think it's pretty hard to just nitpick him too hard. Like, you know, not to the K level, but it is hard to, you know, find too much not to like just off, off the first handful of games at, at Gonzaga. Now, the one thing I'll say is I think it's definitely a favorable team context for him uh, because there are multiple playmakers in the floor, uh, a lot of really good shooters. He has a lot of space to operate. And when the clock runs down, he's never going to be relied upon to shoot it. Uh, they can give it to Timmy who can, you know, go to the post and do his thing. Um, you know, he could kick it. Uh, and they're just a really good ball moving team. And they're, they're so fun to watch uh, more so than any college team in a while, I think. But, um, you know, regardless, it, it's definitely going to help his draft stock uh, to that point. Um, and, you know, so he moved up to five for me, you know, on the strength of what he's been doing. Uh, and, and also, you know, the questions I have about some of the guys in the range right after him. Uh, so I think, you know, top 10 is pretty safe at this point. Top five has a real chance. Uh, and it's not something we would have said a month ago. Uh, so impressive stuff. You make a you make a great point where Cunningham, Mobley, when we get to BJ Boston, when we get to Jalen Johnson, these are freshmen that are really being required to carry their team and don't necessarily have a ton of help around them, at least a ton of experience around them. Suggs drops into like you said, maybe one of the best college teams we've seen um, in a while, a very experienced team, a deep team, a talented team, and he doesn't have to do it all himself. And defenses just can't game plan uh, for Suggs, stopping Suggs every night. You can't do that with Gonzaga. They have too many weapons. They'll kill you in too many different ways. And that is, it would be interesting, 
right, that put Suggs and Oklahoma State, uh, for example, and and wonder, and, and an apples to apples comparison, could he be doing what Cade Cunningham is doing every night when defenses can completely focus on Cade and shutting him down at Oklahoma State? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And I think the answer is probably no. Uh, and that's not a knock on him. It's just that not a lot of guys are as good as Cade. Um, and that's a theme we're going to keep coming back to for the next however many months we talk about this. But but the other thing I'll say with Suggs is I do suspect, I wonder if, you know, I, I had thought of him as sort of like a Marcus Smart type player coming in where he's like a utility guard, does a ton of stuff on, you know, on both ends, uh, plays really gritty, um, maybe a little bit wild. I think maybe he's better than that. Maybe, and now I'm wondering, well, maybe is his ceiling like a Drew Holiday type player where he's not necessarily your full-time point guard, uh, but he is you know, more of an on-off guy, helps you in a lot of ways, you know, very inarguably a very valuable player, maybe not your focal point star. That's kind of where I'm at with him right now, where that's kind of, if that's his outcome, man, that's great. Um, but I'm wondering if that's sort of the mold we should be thinking, him, thinking of him as and not as opposed to some people might say, Oh, maybe he can be like a Westbrook, like hyper athletic playmaker. Like I just, I don't think he's like a John Morant where he sees the floor in that way. Uh, like a, a Russ or a John Morant, but I could be wrong. Uh, we'll see, but it's, he's going to be an interesting eval in the context of that team. I had one exec that uh, compared him to a young Brandon Roy, um, which I thought was an interesting uh, c- comparison. And if, if he hits that, uh, then uh, he certainly is worthy of being a top two, three pick in this, in this draft. Uh, All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about other potential freshmen that could land in the top 10 in this draft. We're talking talking with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated, and we'll be back talking 2010 NBA draft freshmen. And we're back talking 2010 NBA draft. I'm with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. Next week, we're going to talk about G League prospects. And there's four of them that might actually end up being drafted uh, this year, including a couple uh, that could go very, very high uh, in the lottery. We've talked about the suspects who might go number one in this draft, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. I want to talk about Kentucky's BJ Boston uh, at this point, along with Terrence Clark. They have two prospects uh, that were very highly rated high school players. Uh, Kentucky has really, really struggled uh, coming coming out of the gate. And and neither Boston nor Clark uh, have stood out the way that, that Cunningham or Mobley and Suggs have. Um, let's start with your evaluation of Boston, who I believe you have six on your board. Yeah, he, he's a guy who I think has worked himself uh, into becoming you know, a pretty good player. He got better over the course of high school. Um, I, I thought the whole... Sierra Canyon season was a little bit tricky to get a beat on because they just like had so many guys and, you know, people were missing. Zaire Williams was hurt for a lot of the year. Um, they had a, a weird mix of upperclassmen and then younger guys. Uh, I saw them play a ton cause they were everywhere. Um, but, but I think Boston was like the constant with that team where it was just kind of clear. He was the go-to guy. Uh, he was able to go score when he wanted to. Um, you know, he's a pretty good athlete. He's pretty long. He's a lot tougher. Sometimes, you know, skinny, skinny guys who are sort of finesse scorers don't have that toughness, but he does. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that works in his favor, but he is not a guy who has really hit the ground running at Kentucky. You know, he's missed a lot of threes. He's been a really, really struggle to catch and shoot. 
Uh, I think that's a factor. Um, you know, one question with him has also been how much does he make other players better? You know, he's always really been a scorer. Um, and I just, I always think the bar for those guys who are just natural scorers is just so much higher to clear in terms of NBA value, because again, the NBA has scorers already. Um, you know, there's maybe 10 to 12 truly elite scorers in the NBA. Those guys don't come around very often. Um, and you know, everybody else, it's just, well, how do you fit in? And so, so with him, I think this is a good Kentucky is an interesting situation. And I would say the same thing for Terrence Clark. Uh, I had a concern. My concern with both of them this year was how they would share the ball and how they would fit in at Kentucky. And I think the team's early struggles have been, you know, a byproduct of, you can see neither of those guys are fully bought in defensively. Um, they are still playing like they did in high school, where they're not committed to doing the small stuff. Um, Calipari, at least we know is going to hold them accountable to do it. So I think that team is liable to transform a couple more times in the next few months. Um, so these are like far from, you know, damning performances from either one, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to get super excited over it because it just hasn't really been consistent at all uh, in the way that past Kentucky freshmen have sort of come in. Even Tyrese Maxey, um, who was, you know, had an uneven season came in and at least he was impactful. Uh, and it's hard to say for sure with either of those guys yet that they're impacting them winning. Um, but with Boston, the other thing is he's just so slippery off the dribble at his size. He's got a good change of pace. He can handle. Uh, it's kind of hard to stay in front of him. Um, and he just needs to start you know, hitting the shots when he gets the separation. I think it's, uh, it's really interesting. And to your point about how Boston and Clark, who are both you know, ball-dominant primary scorers, are going to fit together, that maybe Terrence Clark's best half came when Boston got in foul trouble the other night um, and it was actually off the floor. And then you saw you saw him get more aggressive, and he started to look the part of a of a lottery prospect, if not just for you know a, a ten minute stretch with with Boston on the bench. Uh, Boston clearly still six on your board as a scorer. I, he he has a great he's got a great PR team. I'll say that you know coming in the hype he was able to generate about potentially being a number one pick. You know how he's worked on his game. You know coming out of Kentucky as well. And, and so far, it just, like you said, hasn't quite translated into what we're seeing on the court. Though I think you're right about a couple of things. One, let's give Kentucky and all of these young teams some time. They don't have the same level of practice. They don't have the same level of preparation that they would typically have um, because of COVID. Uh, you also wonder how just all that time off from playing basketball in general uh, for these young people have affected them. We saw it affected NBA players when they came to the bubble. So certainly you would think it would affect um, these young prospects as well. Um, Terrence Clark, where do you have him ultimately kind of in your range? I think you have him a little bit lower on your Yeah, board. for me, so he was 17 this week uh, on the first first board, and he definitely has room to move up. Um, I think I was lower on him based on what I saw from him uh, during his senior year um, of high school. I just, he just you know, I just have concerns about his overall composure. Sometimes uh, it seemed like he would get frustrated so easily uh, did not always deal well uh, in adverse situations. Uh, again, it's, it's high school stuff. I, I never want to like hold too much against guys uh, for being emotional, but it's, it is something he's going to have to learn to control uh, and sort of get a handle on. Um, and I think that's something the teams are going to be, you know, they're going to be asked about that in terms of how he's adjusting, um, you know, to college and fitting in as part of a team. Um, you know, I've always, he struck me as a little bit, sometimes a little bit too selfish, uh, with, for not being like a truly, truly elite high school talent. He was a little bit too selfish sometimes. Uh, but he, you know, he's a good athlete. He can really score. 
Um, I'm not sure what type of shooter he is from three, but he can get into the paint. Um, he floated a lot, but when he turns it on, he's effective. Uh, and so for him, it's just a matter, you know, this is the kind of a story we've seen before where, you know, guys are ball dominant high school players and they're used to being the man and getting their way. Uh, you know, he may not get that. He's going to get coached harder. Um, you know, that's uh, something that has sort of been a trend with him. He's going to, how is he going to deal with coaching? And so, again, I don't want to like bash him because it's so early, but um, for me, that's why I'm a little bit lower. I just want to see how he responds um, to the college level. And I, I also think he's a less creative player than Boston. You know, I have Boston, I mean, 10, 10 or so spots higher. It does seem like a wider gap than maybe there really is between them. Um, but I just, I want to see a little bit more from Clark before I move him up. Let's talk about the other blue chip team. Uh, Kentucky did not have a lottery pick in the 2020 draft, which is extremely rare. Neither did Duke. And very extre- extremely rare that both of those teams are going to get shut out in the lottery. That's probably not going to happen this year. Boston, uh, barring some sort of disaster, is, is probably going to be a lottery pick. Jalen Johnson looks like the guy from Duke uh, that could be a lottery pick. A very unique player at 6'9", uh, excellent ball handler, um, sees the floor well, um, leads Duke out when he's out in transition. Uh, unique set of skills for a player his size, but also some weaknesses there. Yeah, he can be so frustrating sometimes because, you know, you just, you see Jalen Johnson, you see the size, um, the really impressive passing ability. He passes it like a guard, a uh, great transition player, uh, seems to enjoy passing, um, sometimes defers a bit too much. Um, but also the, the, the problem becomes, you know, in the half court, uh, he hasn't figured out what he is yet. Um, you know, he, he's not a great three-point shooter, never has been. Uh, you know, he's not a quite a good enough ball handler to just play as a point guard. You know, you need to, he needs to play off another guard. You know, I think he'll do some secondary playmaking. Uh, you know, his, his basketball IQ is, is good. Uh, you know, when the play breaks down, he can make the right play. Uh, you know, he has the size and the passing ability to kind of do those things and be like an interesting connective player. But then you look up and his stat lines are always not quite what you would hope they are um, in terms of efficiency, in terms of turnovers, you know, and this has been a theme throughout his, um, you know, career in high school as well. So, you know, he's a guy I think, like BJ Boston, it's hard to see him falling out of the lottery because six foot eight, six foot nine passers don't come around like that very often. Uh, and with more spacing in the NBA and more shooting around him, it's a formula that we've seen before where guys get better. Um, but he's not super explosive and, you know, he can change speeds, but he's not like going to beat you off the dribble consistently. Uh, and so that's also a holdup. Uh, and I think one big issue so far you've seen with Duke has been. Um, he has not done enough offensively to really keep you honest. So college teams can just stick a big on him and just like, you know, kind of sag in the NBA. If that's, you know, if that's still the case in the NBA, he's going to have problems uh, because, you know, the athleticism issue is going to become more pronounced and the shooting is going to become more pronounced. So, you know, if he's a poor man's Ben Simmons, like I'm not actually sure where that gets you. So I think he still has some, some surging to do as far as what his role will be in the NBA, but Duke needs him to be the guy. So I'm curious to see, you know, to what extent he can sort of turn up that consistency level. Tony Jones uh, compared him to a young Grant Hill, which I thought was uh, a, a bit of a surprise. I, I can see it a little bit. I, I'm I'm leaning more towards uh, your comparison that you just made right now, which is a poor man's Ben Simmons. And then I have a big question mark about what that is exactly in yeah. the NBA. Um, you know, it, it was hard enough, I think, for Philly to figure out how to play Ben Simmons and really help him thrive um, in the league. I still think there's questions about how you build a team around Ben Simmons, uh, but Ben Simmons is a better athlete. 
uh, than than uh, Jalen Johnson is. He's, he's certainly a better defender right now uh, than Jalen Johnson is, and I, I think he's a, a more gifted, uh, you know, passer and ball handler. Even though I think Jalen Johnson's really good, and so could he evolve into that? You know, perhaps, uh, and that that's what I think you're hoping for, but it's not there. And I, I saw the same thing uh, just even watching Duke the other night. Um, when he gets in the half court, he becomes a lot less sure of himself and what he's going to do and, and what his game really is. And I'm not sure what it is yet um, either, but he's a beast in transition. Uh, he, he's he's nearly unstoppable when he's when he's yeah. leading the break. Yeah. And, I, and I will say on that note, uh, one thing that also has concerned me is just that that has been the same question for you know probably two or three years with him too, is what will he do in the half court? And it seems like he's just never quite adjusted his style of play um, you know, to make it work like that. So, you know, you know, I, I don't know the answer. Um, yeah, I think you just hope he's sort of like a playmaking power forward, um, who can sort of screen and roll and hopefully shoot. Shooting is the big thing. Um, but again, it's just such a rare, and potentially useful, uh, mold that he fits, uh, to where it's just hard to see his stocks falling too, too far. Let's, let's go to the number eight guy on your board, uh, Florida state, Scotty Barnes. Uh, who you compared uh, to someone in the Draymond Green mold, uh, which is another very unique player. There aren't really a lot of Draymond Greens out there. And what do you think about Scotty Barnes and and his uh, projection in the pros? So I've tried to not throw the Draymond thing around there lightly because I think you remember in like the three years after the Warriors won the first title, like every small ball big was like, oh, could he be Draymond? And like the answer was no. Right. I mean, that's just such a rare player and uh scotty though i think i say that in a complimentary sense where it is the closest thing i've seen in terms of defensive versatility he has crazy length Uh, he's always played very hard he has learned to play under control in the last year which i think was an issue for him when he was younger Uh, he's sort of become a little bit less emotional he cares about winning he cares about the right stuff uh, and has sort of come a long way just in terms of you know how he carries himself and how consistent he is as a performer uh, he can really pass uh, at his size. Uh, you know, he can pass out of the post. He can pass on the move. He can kind of be used a few different ways. Um, the issue that he can't shoot is a, a major one. Not a very good shooter, but again, there's some room for improvement. It's not totally broken. Um, and when you're big and you can kind of see the floor like that, it can be a, a little bit of an equalizer in that department. Uh, and just defensively, he's actually gotten more versatile uh, from what I've seen just in terms of being able to move his feet. So, you know, he might be able to defend, you know, bigger guards uh, and wings uh, as well as bigs uh, be kind of a positionless four or five with a, you know, playmaking potential on the other side. I mean, that's pretty interesting. Um, I think they, uh, you know, they haven't really gotten into the thick of their schedule. We need to see how they play in the ACC and sort of what he does. Uh, But I do think, in terms of being a polished product, Scotty is further along than I would have said that about Patrick Williams or Devin Vassell last year, where they were, it took them a couple months to emerge. You know, Scotty like is kind of fully formed coming into college. Uh, so to me, he's pretty fascinating. One of the themes of this draft seems to be, again, these playmaking players that are six six, six seven, six eight, six nine. Uh, this seems to be the trend in this draft, and certainly a trend that the NBA um, wants. They're they're looking for players like this, uh, and and then obviously that can be versatile on the defensive end. And it seems to me of the guys that we're talking about at the top of the draft, Barnes might be the most versatile uh, on the defensive. Yeah, end. I think that's I think that's fair to say. And you know, just factoring in that, and just how much he seems to really enjoy playing 
Um, you know, he doesn't have any of those question marks. Um, you know, it's just, I think he's listed as a point guard right now. That's not what he's going to be, right? He, I mean, he could be a point center, right? Uh, but the position thing is less of an issue uh, just when you compete like that and when you can, you know, you, you have that type of, of feel. So, you know, I'm sure some rough spots will come out and I'm not sure what type of scorer he's going to be in college because um, he doesn't really have like a go-to, you know, he can post, he can, you know, pass. Passing is the key thing again, but um, I'm not sure exactly where the points are coming from yet, but he's he's pretty interesting in terms of what he'll be in two months. Let's fill out your top 10 uh, with Zaire Williams, uh, the wing out of Stanford, 6'8", 185 pounds, had a, had a really great game coming out of the gates against Alabama. Uh, hasn't necessarily been as consistent as that since then. Uh, what do you like about Zaire Williams? Some, some teams really high on him. He's a much more polarizing prospect, actually, in talking to NBA teams. Some, some are really high on him. Some have a lot of... Yeah, I, I can say with like some confidence right now that of the guys who we are currently talking about as lottery prospects... Uh, he's going to be the one who probably scares me the most between now and whenever the draft is. Uh, we don't know for sure, <laughs> but but um, you know, obviously he can shoot, and I think his shooting mechanics have improved um, from what I've seen since the last time I saw him play. Uh, it looks more consistent. Obviously, he is you know big enough at six eight to shoot over people. Um, the problem is that just a lot of his game really is that right now. We haven't really seen him do a lot else. Uh, he doesn't really get to the rim at all. Again, four games, but they're not really playing anyone. Uh, you know, obviously they were in uh, Maui slash Asheville, uh, but you know, even in those games, you know, decent competition didn't really get to the rim beyond you know, the first game. The shot was falling, so the question just becomes: Well, when your shot's not falling, if you're not really getting to the line, you're not really getting to the rim. Uh, what else are you bringing to the team? And with him, I think that's concerning. Um, you know, he's wearing a big brace on his knee right now. Uh, you know, he had a history of injuries in high school; was kind of banged up a lot. Um, and also it's worth noting, you know, between that and then he transferred to Sierra Canyon. Um, and I think it was, you know, the transfer rules also forced him to sit out for some of the season. So he didn't really play a ton in his senior year. It was kind of abridged. Uh, so he, he's also been pacing a much longer hiatus from competitive basketball than some of these other guys uh, from what I understand. Um, so I don't want to like rule him out. You know, I put him number nine. Obviously the talent is there. He can pass. Uh, he's got to work on the handle, got to work on creating that shot for himself. Uh, you know, defensively he holds up, but that body type is so, is so slender on the other hand. So, you know, again, he scares me a bit. Um, you know, still think he's a lottery talent. Um, long way to go. 185 injury prone. Doesn't, doesn't really take it to the basket or finish around the rim. Maybe for those exact reasons, those are going to be pretty big red flags. So now we're starting to get into these prospects, right, Jeremy, that look a lot more like the 2020 draft where, yes, there's the ceiling and you can project this player, but there's some pretty scary floors there uh, with, with a player uh, like uh, Zaire Williams. And I think that's why he's become such a polarizing uh, player among teams. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few other potential lottery guys, uh, freshman lottery guys in this draft. Yes, this entire lottery could end up being uh, college freshmen. I'm with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated, and we'll be back. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. They're in 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, 
apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for, for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system, I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. The wait is almost over. The 2021 NBA season is almost here. And the Locked On NBA podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning December 14th. Get previews of every team, division by division, from all 30 of our Locked On local experts, including us. Plus, waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on each division. From rejecting the screen, subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm back talking 2021 NBA draft. I'm with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. He recently just put out his top 60 on Sports Illustrated. And we're talking about freshmen, college freshmen right now. And we've gone through eight guys already. Uh, And we still have more that could potentially fall in this lottery. And let's start with Keon Johnson, shooting guard out of Tennessee. Because of COVID, we didn't really even see him play until really recently came off the bench uh, for Tennessee, they have a they have a this is another team that has a lot of talent on it, and so they don't necessarily need to rely on their freshmen uh, the same way. Uh, what do you think about Keon Johnson uh, and his translation to the NBA? So, um, as of us recording this, I have not yet watched Tennessee. Has only played one game uh, against Colorado. They won. Uh, I have not watched that game yet, so I I, I have not watched uh, to see him yet. So that will be the caveat for the statement, but. Uh, you know, he's a player who I think people are very high on coming into the season. Um, I saw, I got a good look at him uh, at USA basketball uh, last summer. Uh, he was outstanding there. Just such a defensive force, such a great athlete, uh, very tough minded, just kind of was flying around the court was just kind of like sticking himself in the play, get it coming up with the ball, getting in transition, you know, showing off the explosiveness uh, just had a really, really good uh, weekend there. And, um, you know, we're kind of hoping that that trend will now continue at Tennessee. I, I wonder if, I think I put him at number 11. I kind of wanted to put him a little bit lower. I was kind of back and forth. I think, I think starting him in the top 10 was a little bit optimistic for a player who doesn't really create much of his own offense yet. Uh, his feel is very good. Um, he's still learning to sort of slash to the rim. Uh, he was always an inconsistent shooter in high school. So he has strides to make in that area. Uh, he is not, I think he's listed at six, five, but I think he's a little bit smaller than that. Um, from what I thought when I saw him. So, uh, 
you know, there, there are some concerns there. Uh, I think the floor with him is at least fairly high because guys who are that athletic and love to defend and can score and get in transition, those are really valuable players. Um, and you know, he also, he played at a pretty small high school in Tennessee. Uh, and he missed a chunk of, he had a knee injury that he missed a chunk of his senior year, uh, with that. So again, a guy who is sort of coming back from a hiatus. Um, so, you know, I'm interested to see what he looks like, uh, you know, once we kind of get into the thick of things, but Tennessee is a really good team. Like you said, uh, I think that's actually a good situation for him. He won't have to create a ton of offense. He can kind of fit in, uh, and I'm sure he will pop on the defensive side of the ball, uh, which should get him in the lottery conversation. I don't know how high you could take him over some of these other guys. If he's a defense first player, uh, just knowing how the NBA tends to draft. Um, but he's one to watch. I watched the Colorado-Tennessee game uh, just because you you wonder sometimes how many opportunities you're really going to get <laughs> to see, uh, you know, some of these players. And I and I think your your scouting report was was spot on um, for what we saw defensively is well ahead of his offense right now. The athleticism is clearly there. I think it's going to be interesting because I, I know some people have been more aggressive uh, with where they put him based off the athleticism and what he did. Uh, right uh, in high school, whether he's going to get the the touches, the looks uh, to to really be able to get into the top five, six uh, in, in this draft, given where ten- looks how Tennessee is going to deploy him. Now, this is only the first game of the season, and that that may change over time. But it's going to be really interesting to see how he um, develops. And uh, but he was intriguing, um, absolutely intriguing to watch. Let's talk about a guy who is getting minutes, but when we talk about athletic but raw, I'm not sure anybody fits this uh, more than Greg Brown um, out of Texas. Uh, you know, uh, from the athletic profile, he could be a top five pick in this draft, but his feel for the game seems to be further behind than most of the other prospects that we're talking about. Yeah, so, you know, Greg is a player who I have tracked very closely um, for the last year. Uh, just I've been so... Yeah, he's he's probably the best athlete in the draft, and he's six eight. So like those two things are pretty good starting points. And um, you know, I'll say I think I think there obviously are field concerns, which I have. Uh, he has looked pretty lost uh, so far, to put it lightly. I think uh, in in the Texas offense, uh, but uh, I think the context here is really important. Uh, you know, he was ne- right now. So Texas is playing four out basically, and they're using Jericho Sims at center. So. You know, Greg is basically spending most of his time as a three, four. It's kind of interchangeable. So he's not really, doesn't have the ball a ton, which is good. Um, but also isn't like sitting in the dunker spot where he can just get easy lobs, right? So so there's like, how is he going to manuf- manufacture points besides shooting threes? He's shooting those, not making many. He can shoot. I think it's been a progression. Um, you know, I did go out and see him play last season in, in Austin. I was visiting family, went to one of his games. Uh, got to see him and, you know, they were letting him bring the ball up. You know, he's clearly trying to make the transition to being uh, more perimeter oriented. Uh, you know, how far he gets, I don't know. It may not matter if he can just do basic stuff and be like a slashing face up four because the one positive offensively is he's pretty much, if he gets a step and can like get one dribble, he's pretty much at the rim already. Um, and he covers a lot of ground. He's so explosive. Uh, it doesn't take a lot to see him being like a, you know, Jeremy Grant or a Derek Jones. Like those are the two comps that I think are pretty easy to make where it's just like super athletes who eventually figured out what their skill set was going to be. Uh, Greg, I think could be a little bit better than that. Um, he, but it's going to take a little bit of time. He's not as long as those guys. So he probably needs to be a little bit more perimeter oriented and his handle is pretty limited. He can only really drive left. 
Uh, these things have all kind of been obvious in the first, uh, you know, handful of games. But I thought defensively he's made some progress. He's been fouling less. Even I think they've played like five games, and he's gotten a little bit better defensively in all of those. Uh, he can switch, he block shots, plays hard, cares. Uh, so again, it's it's kind of an attractive blank slate to work with. But again, it's, it's also going to be hard to get over. If he looks like this on offense all year, I don't know if you can pick him in the lottery, especially in a draft where there are other options like this. Uh, so he's going to be a guy with a wide range. I don't want to say he's like, I mean, the example I would make last year, uh, Jaden McDaniels, you know, started off lottery, ended up 28. I don't think his range is going to be that wide because I just think those tools are going to be hard to pass on. But uh, he is a volatile uh, situation and you hope that he gets more comfortable. And, you know, he just needs to learn basically how to cut and like do stuff off the ball. And life is going to be a lot easier for him. Uh, and also Texas, their guards, you know, Matt Coleman is a senior, but he's more of a scorer than like a true playmaker. Uh, they don't throw him enough lobs. Like if I were shotgun smart, I would just run a lob for him like twice a game. Cause he's going to catch it. Like they're not doing anything to make his life easier. And so that would be my defense of him right now is just like, you know, Texas sometimes doesn't really help their freshmen along and they're a good team and he, you know, they're winning, but he could be helping them more than he is. Guys like Greg Brown are always guys, and I, this happened with Jaden McDaniels last year too. I, I, I fall in love pretty quickly uh, with the physical tools, and you can start to project what if, what if this, what if this, what if this. Uh, and the one thing that I, I maybe like about Greg Brown more than Jaden McDaniels is it, it seems like the consistent effort and attitude is there. Um, where I think that was a major question mark for Jaden McDaniels at Washington. You know, does he really want this? Does he love playing the game? Is he going to put in that that the time and energy? It seems like Greg Brown wants to be better. Um, that he likes playing basketball. That he plays um, with enough of a motor uh, that he's going to work on his game. And and then you know we'll see what happens. But that's always a good sign for yeah, players. And I like think that. at the end of the day, there's going to be more to like with him than not. Uh, is a project with with Jaden. It was more of a fifty fifty kind of toss up, depending on who you were uh, and what what you were running. But like athletes like that, it's always a little bit easier. And like you said, I think the competitive aspect is a big part of it. Um, the other thing I'll note, uh, this is kind of you know sort of well known, but you know for people who don't know, um, you know he played with Cade Cunningham a lot uh, in high school. They were AAU teammates. Uh, you know on that team, they were always in transition. He was leaking out, getting easy points, catching lobs from Cade. Life is great. Um, that's honestly, that's probably what he'll be in the NBA. Um, if you put him with a really good playmaking guard, uh, you let him leak out, you know, Texas for some reason, isn't running as much as I thought they would. Um, but you know, once he can get out in front of the play, he's going to be tough to stop. Like he can dribble it enough. I think he'll get there. Um, I just think there's a pretty, it's not like a hard thing to envision him being successful in the pros, even with what the problems we've seen so far. We could talk about a bunch more freshmen, but we're going to just talk about two more. They play on North Carolina. Uh, Deron Sharp, uh, who you have as your 14th uh, ranked prospect, and Caleb Love, uh, the point guard, uh, who you have ranked as your 15th uh, prospect uh, in the draft uh, this year. And it's it's interesting, again, uh, to, to really uh, watch these guys. I think that obviously Caleb Love probably came in uh, as the, the higher touted uh, high school prospect but early on, when you're watching North Carolina, it's actually Sharp that really pops uh, every time that he's on the floor. He's not even starting uh, for North Carolina, but when he gets on the floor, good things happen. Man, yeah, I can't really say enough about Daron Sharp. I love that guy. Uh, he, he um, I know he's not like a fleet of foot big, but he's just so good at everything. Uh, he's fun to watch. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how much longer they can keep bringing him off the bench. I mean, I think he's their best player. Uh, I've watched them a decent amount so far. Um, so yeah, I mean, I put him 14. I just, I, he's so good right now. 
Um, nah, it's, it's a decent draft for bigs, but like no one has really separated, but him and Mobley right now. Uh, and you know, he's just such a clear net positive all the time when he's out there, he plays so hard. Uh, he comes up with steals. Uh, he did a pretty good job defending Luca Garza, who is not an easy person to defend at this level. Um, you know, he had a jumper in that game against Iowa. Uh, he can, he's such a good passer. I kind of buried the lead there. He's such a good passer. Um, like he kind of reminds me of like Yusuf Nurkic in a weird way. Like it's kind of out there, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, if he gets in better shape, you know, he, he's got to move his feet better, but he, he's a really interesting player. Uh, and I think teams are going to view him as a fairly in the way that Isaiah Stewart went 16th. Like you can see sharp going like 13th, right? Like his team's just like reliability. Um, he, he's just been really impressive. I think it was actually really impressive to see him play against Luca Garza, who might win player college basketball player of the year, uh, was averaging 30 plus points a game coming in uh, to that game against North Carolina. And and he had problems when Sharp was on him. Uh, it, it was, and that, that's obviously the knock against Garza as well uh, when he gets to the NBA that he's going to struggle with um, NBA size and length. Uh, but it was it was really impressive just to watch that motor. He got into some foul trouble, and and you know I think that hurt North Carolina at the end. And you can tell he's younger and he's not quite there. But the effort, the energy, and the tools are all there to come around for a young young big man. Um, I yeah. was really impressed. And he's skilled, man. He's skilled too. And uh, I think on the foul trouble note, like you saw, I think he came back in at the eight minute mark because Roy realized that they were going to lose. They had no chance. They were already down ten, but they had no chance if they didn't just put him back in. So he came back in with four fouls. Uh, with eight minutes left, it didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's off to as good a start as any of these guys in terms of just impact. Caleb Love, not off to his greatest greatest start uh, to to the season. Uh, not uh, you know a lot of great point guards in this draft. Uh, what do you think of Caleb Love? He's a guy who I think may. I mean, I, I think there's a chance he may need to go back just off of what we've seen because he's just been had such a hard time adjusting. Uh, I think Carolina is always a sort of a tough learning curve for guards um, where, you know, Cole Anthony, Kobe White last few years have been one and done varying degrees of success, efficiency struggles, uh, you know, with love, the problem has also really just been turnovers. Um, you know, he's just, you know, the one thing I, I'll say, I, I do like him generally as an idea. Uh, he competes really hard. He plays defense. He's a good athlete. He can get to the rim. Um, I think he has a ways to go in terms of running a team. Uh, I suspect there there might be a chance he's more of like a combo in the NBA in the way that Spencer Dinwiddie is sort of like a big combo. He's not as big as that, but like I could just see him being more of like an on-off secondary playmaker who just plays really hard and you know you want you want on the floor even though you're not really sure if he's going to be the lead playmaker. Um, right now, it looks like that could be the case, and he's shot the ball very poorly. I think he's a better shooter than he's shown to, uh, but certainly it's been a rough time. Um, but he's again, if this, if this continues, he, he could fall a little bit more to where, you know, maybe he does think about going back and what is a guy who does have the talent to improve his stock. You know, a lot, a lot of times we talk about guys who should go back and Hey, look, it's, it's December. So I'm not going to like say anything conclusive, but sometimes that conversation we're talking about, we talk about players. Oh, he can go back and improve his stock. But like, look, that guy's a junior. He's probably not going to get that much different. Right. But, but in Caleb's case, the upside is there to where, you know, you could think maybe in a year, what could he be and where would he be better off developing? But like, I don't know if you can put him ahead of a guy like Terrence Clark or, you know, even, even Dayron, it's hard to say you would take him ahead of Dayron um, just in terms of right now, what we've seen. Um, and even a guy like Josh Christopher, who we haven't talked about, we might want to hit him for like two seconds. Uh, you know, another freshman who, you know, looks a little bit more prepared for college. So uh, Caleb, I think is a guy with really interesting long-term prospects and, you know, you just like his makeup overall. 
uh, but just hasn't been as ready as some of these other guys. You're right that we there. There's so many freshmen in this class that we're at 15, and there's other guys that could go in the lottery. You talked about um, Josh Christensen. He's got a teammate at Arizona State. Uh, as well, uh, Marcus Bagley, brother of uh, Kings Ford, Marvin Bagley, Moses Moody uh, out of uh, Arkansas is off to a great start and one of the best shooters um, in this draft as well. Um, who of all of those guys are you the highest on right now as far as uh, freshman? We could have talked about Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky as well. Um, he's he's an intriguing player and frankly may have looked like the best freshman uh, for Kentucky uh, in the early going DJ Stewart out of Duke. I mean, uh, Jaden Springer uh, got a few minutes uh, for Tennessee the other night Uh, of any of those guys, which is the guy most likely you think to come in and crack the lottery? I mean, I think right now Christopher is probably the most like effective player of those guys, but he, he comes with some just play style questions because you know, people the dig on him has always just been how much does he care about winning versus, you know, being a showman. But I think he, he's been good so far. He's, he's gotten the results. He hasn't been like overly, nothing has been like overly set out in a bad way with him really yet. Um, you know, just the question is beyond scoring, what does he do to make guys better? But I think you could say the same thing about Marcus Bagley, uh, who is his teammate. And I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I'm glad Arizona State, their pieces are kind of working, but they have a lot of selfish players who don't really pass. So <laughs> that's going to be a situation to monitor because both those guys are a little bit sticky with the ball. I would say Christopher probably has a better chance of going in the lottery because I think Bagley, in terms of what he's actually doing besides being big and a shooter, will probably come into play. Uh, Moses Moody, I think, has been good so far, but they haven't played anyone. I think he's a little bit further off. He's not super athletic, um, but he's a guy who definitely has a first-round case just off what we've seen. Um, but yeah, he's a little bit younger, uh, but you know, of, of those guys, I mean, that's what I'd say, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting pool. I think there'll be, I think I ranked 20 freshmen on the first list. I felt kind of bad about it, but like, it, it felt like most of those guys had legitimate cases. I think the, you know, I had DJ Stewart, Jaden Springer. Um, and then like further down, I had Cam Thomas from LSU at 37. He's played well. Musa Cisse kind of lost right now for Memphis, but he's on there cause he blocks shots. So it's a good freshman class in terms of just it's partially because these guys are just interesting long-term players, but also because the returning college pool isn't like totally that deep. They're guys who are good guys will emerge, but like you said, it's going to be a freshman heavy draft. I think one way or the other in terms of the top 20 or 25 picks. He's Jeremy Wu sports illustrated. Great job breaking down all the freshmen uh, in college basketball. Uh, Next week, uh, we're going to talk about G league prospects and there's four of them that might actually end up being drafted. Uh, this year, including a couple uh, that could go very, very high uh, in the lottery. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.